You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series called Principles of Prayer. We pray that this encourages and blesses you today. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 4 is what we're going to look at. I want to finish out our series on prayer. Uh, We've been doing a series called The Principles of Prayer, and I've been asking people to share principles of prayer. If you remember, um, I started off by saying prayer is asking. And we looked at the Lord's Prayer or how he taught his disciples to simply ask God for things. He cares about us. Pastor Robin did a great job talking about how prayer is a discipline, and it's actually hard to ask God for things continually, to persevere in it. Why is it so hard to pray? Uh, And and we need to understand these principles and understand what the Word of God teaches us about these things because it's important. Pastor Dan Grainer from LifeSpring, which is pretty fun uh, to be able to have him share, he wanted to impart and just share stories about his spiritual father, Pastor Peters, uh, and just the importance of consistency in prayer, persevering in prayer. There is power and consistency. And just going to the Lord over and over again, persevering, And tonight, what I want to remind us as we're sort of closing out this prayer and fasting together is I want to give you just this last principle. Prayer is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. If you're to endure, if you're to be consistent, if there's there's these things, we are to have a lifestyle of asking God for things and relying on Him and depending on Him. And it needs to be said over and over again, especially in the season of prayer and fasting as we're ending the season We don't end the season of seeking God. We remain abiding in Him. Now the scripture that we're going to look at, I'm going to give you a lot of context to sort of set it up because I think it's the one simple point, one profound truth, but you need to know sort of the the bedrock and foundation of this guy named Apostle Paul. This infiltrated Europe and Asia Minor and and all these places sharing the gospel. Paul was writing to another local church that just started, that got planted, and he wanted to give them instruction or insight to how to follow Jesus. He was discipling. Remember the churches in Ephesus and those seven churches are in the the, um, eastern side of Turkey? The Colossae is a sort of central Turkey. It's more inland. Paul had never actually visited there, but Paul was a key leader in the early church, and he went around going sharing the gospel, and this message was spreading, and as he was planting churches... And he would say, listen, this needs to be the first and foremost thing in a ministry. 1 Corinthians 15 says that, that Jesus came according to Scripture, died according to Scripture, and he rose according to Scripture. And, and we need to understand this and understand the significance of the gospel, uh, that the Bible says that we need Jesus, that we are all sinners, saved by grace. And if you don't know what sin is, sin is the rebellion against God. He tells us and instructs us to do a lot of things. Only problem is we're human. We have a sin nature. We rebel. We don't do. We fall short, miss the mark of his glory. And because of that sin, the wage of sin is death. But God just doesn't leave us to be condemned or damned. He pursues us. He loves us in his good nature and his kindness. And in his love, the Bible says, the Father sent his Son to die for our sins while we're yet enemies of him so that we would actually know him and have our sins forgiven. That's what the cross of Christ is all about, that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Sin separates us from a God that's so pure and so holy, but yet the beautiful thing is the gospel brings us and unites us with him and with one another. God forgives our sin to all that call upon his name and repent. 
And He gives us His Spirit and relationship and transforms our lives because He didn't just die, He rose again. And this is what the Bible says is the gospel, the good news, that we get God's righteousness. And Paul, this fellow murderer, fellow chief sinner, he would say, was transformed by this message. He, he was going ballistic. He was traveling and, and risking his life so that people would know the gospel, so that they would receive God's grace. For you, when you receive God's grace, you are actually forgiven. You have the spirit inside of you and you can have promise of eternal life. This is why the resurrection is so important because what Jesus says goes. And when he promises something, it's significant. He can back it. Paul was saved by this gospel and this gospel still saves people, chief sinners like you and me. And so the question I have for you before we get into this text is, have you believed and have you received this message? Do, do, you, do you understand that, that John would say to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God? That through the power of the Spirit, you can call God your Abba Father. That you have a great privilege to pray to have relationship, to be forgiven, to have no condemnation, that all spiritual blessings are found in Christ, that there is a relationship that when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and was risen from the grave, you actually can enter into this relationship and this resurrection power, this abundant life. Paul was eternally changed by this and we need to understand people today are eternally changed by this. Have you been changed? Can you testify? Because if you have been, then you can preach too. You can tell people about Jesus. And the beautiful thing about Jesus in John 6, 37, he says, who all come to me, I will never cast out. No one is too far from God. Paul knew this. He's writing to people that have experienced this and received God's love. And now, He's writing this letter in Colossians to a church that just got planted and they're saying like, what, what do we do? What's our life about now? Like, well, if this is reality, how do we live? One of my favorite passages in scripture is Colossians chapter one. Uh, Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 20. I just want to read it because I think it sets the tone of this whole uh, instruction exhortation to us that we're going to look at. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, above over everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's not even the text we're going to study. I just wanted to read scripture. This is good to read about Jesus. And that, did you know that the Bible declares that when we read scripture, the Bible, it actually points us to Jesus. John 5, 37, you seek eternal life. And the scripture, no, they, they point to me, Jesus would tell us. That we should, be, we should be honed in and understand that this gospel doesn't lead to an exhortation or a rule, but to a person. And our lives now should all be about Jesus. This is a Christ-centric letter and instruction to the church 
so that they would see Jesus and behold him and become like him and that they would respond to the gospel. Most letters are like this. They would give a high view of who Jesus is and then out of a response of worship of that truth, they would give now instruction. And what ends up happening in our minds is we're pretty good with rules and we're pretty good with structure. We want to do things and check boxes. So we initially go there and we miss out on the whole main point of worship to Jesus. He's the head of the church. He's preeminent. It pleased God to dwell fully in him. He redeemed us by his blood. The exhortation he's going to give to this church, not only in chapter 4, but throughout the book, is a response to this message. Here's a little bit more context for you, which is pretty awesome, I think. In chapter 1, it actually says that Paul, this crazy radical church planner going around spreading the gospel, he didn't plant this church. Epaphroditus, verse 7 in chapter 1, tells us this beloved fellow servant shared the gospel with this community and they were radically received it and transformed. Paul was trying to let people know it wasn't about him, it was about Jesus. So the first thing he does in his intro is elevate God. I I love that about this, this letter because it shows us that we don't need a great apostle, a professional, or even a pastor to be preaching the message of Jesus, do we? If you've been changed by Jesus, you can preach the gospel. You can testify. You can share the good news, and you can make disciples have an impact on a community. It's not about a personality. It's about the person of Jesus. Paul had not planted this church, but was in constant prayer for this church. And he says that right in chapter 1, how they responded to the gospel. They were bearing fruit. That prayer made a difference and instructions to them through this scripture is to continue to pray, to make it about Jesus, to stay persistent in prayer. Just as you receive Jesus through prayer and humbling yourself, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, remain in it. Stay in that place. And he's closing out this letter to pray. Read with me in Colossians chapter 4 this exhortation this simple but yet profound truth. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on the account of which I am a prison in prison. Epaphroditus was a fellow prisoner in Philippi, it records, with Paul. And he says, may, that I may be able to make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The Apostle Paul started this book with a prayer and a high elevation of Jesus. And he's ending this book with exhorting them to pray and make much of Jesus. You could probably guess what's in the middle of this book too, right? It's pretty amazing That we have these examples in Scripture, and yet in our reality we forget and we don't follow these patterns. You see, the Apostle Paul absolutely believed in the power of prayer. He he absolutely believed in the power of prayer. He would be going and doing these walking, these journeys, and he he would engage in spiritual warfare and pray for these churches. In most letters, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. He would even say in Corinth, listen, I got this gift of tongues, and I pray more than anyone over everyone. Because it's that important. I just want you to just think about his life and his ministry. 
Think about now your life. It's okay. Do you pray? Do you intercede? Has praying for the global church and other people helped you in your spiritual maturity? I love what Dan said. It's like, man, if you're just praying for your own needs, you're not that mature. We, we got to grow. We got to develop. The Apostle Paul believed in the power of prayer and the way that he loved other people is praying for them and even asking for prayer. In verses 3 and 4, he would ask the church, hey, pray for me, guys. I'm not the superhero. Didn't you just hear? It's not about Paul or Apollos or Peter. No, it's about Jesus. He's preeminent. He's above all. I need, I need help as well. He says, pray for us that there would be an effective, fruitful door to be open for this gospel. He would request the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6. And what a great reminder to pray for your pastors, to pray for missionaries, to pray for leaders that are advancing the gospel you think it's easy just to preach the gospel? No, there's opposition. Epaphroditus would have known that, being a fellow prisoner because of this opposition in Philippi. Silas was wrong with Paul. He was in prison with Paul as well. What's the deal with this whole suffering and following Jesus? This is a spiritual warfare that's happening. And when we declare this gospel of light, it snatches people from the kingdom of darkness into light. And there is a supernatural warfare going on let us, not un let us not forget this and let us pray for our leaders. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, when talking about the spiritual armor of God and engaging in spiritual warfare, he would say in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Don't just pray for the leader, pray for everyone. How do you pray? All kinds of prayers. Like how? In the Spirit. Just ask God, get wisdom, just pray, just continue. He would notice in verse uh, 18 of this chapter in Ephesians, in, in the end of this book in Colossians, he would ask for prayer. And he stresses people to continue to pray, to persevere, to keep alert. Perseverance is defined as doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Let me say it again. To persevere is to do something despite a delay or difficulty in the success that you want to happen. And we often need this reminder to persevere, to stay faithful, because we don't get the results immediately through prayer. Jesus told us this, to recognize this. He, he would say to persevere in prayer. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he's like, hey, you're going to get discouraged because you may not get everything that you want immediately. But he says, do not lose heart, but pray. And he gives a parable about the persistent widow praying to the king. Because when we pray, it doesn't always get answered immediately. And this is a normal aspect of prayer. You may even gotten discouraged in this fast because you've been praying for something. You even skipped a meal. And now, God didn't even just answer your prayer right then and there. But I want to remind you in the spirit that all of heaven is moved because of that prayer and God has listened to your prayer. 1 John 5.14 says we can have confidence in this, that he who prays according to his will would answer and he listens to our prayers. God knows your voice. We're always asking, do you know God's voice? He knows your voice. 
You know, one of the examples of this is Daniel. In Daniel chapter 10, he prays to God for the people and repents. And uh, many of you guys have been doing this Daniel fast. It comes from uh, a prophet that was taken into an exile in a terrible culture, uh, antagonistic towards God. And he wanted to consecrate himself and just eat fruits, vegetables, grains, these things, not partake in certain things, to be strong and to test God and to show people that God is real. He would do this often, pray and have faithfulness in prayer throughout his life. There'd be another point in his life where he was praying and he was fasting and mourning for his people for three weeks, another three weeks, 21 days. And, um, and it seemed like, like God wasn't listening. There was no answer because he was in just a state of just agony, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. But I love what Daniel chapter 10 verses 12 through 13 say and teach us because even the righteous and the people and the saints of old have dealt with this. An angel came to Daniel and said, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Heaven responded because of the words of a man. The Bible says, Elijah, a man like us, prayed that rain would stop, and it stopped. Elijah Prayed that rain would happen, and it happened. Just a man. This is another man. God heard his word, and an angel goes forth, and the angel says, your words have been heard, and I have come because of that faith, because of that word, because of those prayers. But then he says, the prince of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, well, he's one of the chief princes, or an archangel came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. This is important insight and a reminder that when we pray and we're engaging in prayer and fasting, it is a spiritual discipline and something in the spirit is taking place. Just because it doesn't happen immediately doesn't mean it's not happening. God hears our words. He knows what's happening. This angel was delayed and we must remember that there are other factors to our prayers and our prayer request. Most importantly, God's will, right? When we pray in Jesus' name, it's to his nature. We're praying according to his will that things will get done. And sometimes God's will is just to straight tell you no. Because it's not about you. It's about his will moving forward. The father told Jesus no. Jesus said, if there's any other way in the Garden of Gethsemane, would you just do this a different way? And God said, no. Why? Well, because God needed to get glory. Aren't you so grateful that God the Father told Jesus no in that way? So that Jesus would go to the cross and suffer and God could raise him to the dead and give him the name above all names? And because of Jesus' suffering, there was great glory. Listen, sometimes God allows us to, to go through suffering and trial and testing just so he can receive glory. A no from God is not a no in his love. He knows what's best for us and how to receive glory. And part of God's will is his timing. Sometimes he wants to say yes, but it's just not the right time. And that's okay too because he's God and he's outside of time. He's the beginning and he's the Alpha and Omega. He knows what to do and how to do it. The only problem is it takes patience on our part, which is terrible. Because none of us like patience. This is why it's a virtue. But this is why the Bible exhorts us to keep going, to persevere. The Bible tells us 
keep praying. Despite the difficulty or the delay, this is not an event or some exciting thing that just takes place in the beginning of the year. This is our life now, to live in this mystery. Because when you live in this mystery and this tension, it takes faith to trust God. But it's good for our lives to stay alert, to be watchful, to give strict attention to. This word to be watchful means to take heed lest calamity or suffering suddenly overtake you. Knowing that danger is present, a watchman needs to stay alert for danger and keep his eyes and attention on the task at hand. And the Bible says we are to be like watchmen. Jesus told his disciples when he was going to the cross to engage in prayer. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you will you not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Guys, we just got to realize our flesh is weak. It's, it's not as strong as you think. Like we said on Friday night, though, though my heart and my flesh may fail, man, God is the strength of my heart and my portion. We don't have to rely on our own strength, our own passion, our own zeal, our own efforts. We can rely on Jesus and he will give us strength to persevere. We can rely on his spirit because it's not by might nor by power, but by God's spirit, says the Lord. We get so discouraged as we watch and we pray because our flesh doesn't see anything happen. And we need reminders like this that prayer isn't just something we do once, but it's a continual thing. It's a lifestyle. This is why he says, continue steadfastly. Devote yourself to prayer, another translation says. You see, it's super exciting. We've grown fifth year prayer and fasting, 10 churches involved, a global ministry involved. New church plants are happening. And we're about to end this fast in a glorious way, hopefully with some beautiful meat that you could just enjoy. It's going to be great. But it's not just an event for us. This isn't just, you know, you usually aren't tempted to give up when things are going great. It's usually in the silence and the dark that the watchman gets sleepy. It's in the month of May or August or even October that there's the great temptation to be like, well, I, I'm still going, I'm still praying. You see, a watchman drifts and gets tired and is tempted to fall asleep and not be alert when it's dark and when there's silence. But we're told to stay alert, to continue in it to make it a lifestyle. It's often said 21 days is something that can actually help you form a habit. Habits become your character. You repeatedly do them. and Character is who you are. Are you a man or a woman of prayer, of dependence and abiding in Christ? Is this just your life now, not just a season? Paul says continue steadfastly Stay constant, persist, continually. After the event, after the excitement, even in the silence, we remain trusting God. And we see the early church do this as well. He was exhorting a church plant that was being raised up and wanted to follow Jesus. What do you do? Continue in him. Acts 2.42. It says, and they devoted themselves, are continued in, 
the apostles' teaching. Studying scripture. It's what we do. In the fellowship, koinonia, partnership in the gospel, being on mission, living life together, and in breaking of bread, and the prayers. These spiritual disciplines or practices were done continually, not just in the start of a season, and they were done because of the response of how, God, how great God was. When God has touched your heart like that, you want to respond by worship and obey him. So how does Paul close his book and say you would obey Jesus? Continue trusting him. Make it a lifestyle. Don't just get hyped when you got saved. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love it because he closes this book, but it's a perfect exhortation for us as we close our fast together, isn't it? Next Friday, what are we doing? Praying. Why? Because that's what we do. Every first Friday, we're going to intercede. We're not going to make it about us. We're going to go and be on a mission. Keep on pursuing, proclaiming Jesus. Year 11. Yay. Decade. Praise God. Next, next new decade. We're just going to continue to do it. This is what we do. It's who we are. Because we've had the habits. We've seen the faithfulness of God. It's, it's developing our character and transforming our lives. And this is the dependence and the abiding of Christ that we're going to bear fruit, as Jesus said in John 15. Don't forget the gospel. We have a right relationship, God. We can now enter into the throne of grace and mercy because of the cross of Christ so we can continue in devoting ourselves and being watchful and making prayer a lifestyle. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, these things should be done regularly out of adoration and love towards Jesus. So this is why we have texts like 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18 that say, so pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Prayer is a lifestyle. Amen? And so let's close in prayer and thank God and just sing one more worship song together and take communion together.